Recently, I had a conversation with someone regarding my spiritual beliefs. We were chatting on Discord about dietary preferences, and someone said they had been a pescatarian once. Of course, I responded with, How cool! I'm a Leo! <laughs> it was all fun and games, we were laughing, having a good time, until a friend of mine expressed his disbelief in astrology. Daring me to continue, he said, You don't really believe in that crap, do you? Now, I can't say for certain why there was such a deep-seated prejudice for astrology outside of the basic human response of fear and the poking of that which we don't understand with a stick. New information has the potential to draw our very own fundamental beliefs into question. It's understandable to be met with abrasive investigations, as there's always fear inhabiting the gravitational field of novelty, but that's typically just the spark to ignite the volatile fumes rising from the uneducated. So I began testing the waters to see what was really going on beneath the surface. And this was when he voiced the spurning opinion that horoscopes are just like those psychics. They say the same things applicable to anyone. They're just broad statements anybody can relate with. That was funny. He said it like it was something astrology ought to be ashamed of. Of course, I understood what he meant. He was coming from a place of experience with those pop cultural three sentence horoscopes found in newspapers or social media feeds which focus solely on sun signs, the kind which are just as likely to be as full of crap as con men disguised as psychics are, and I told him as much. The packaging can't disguise what the tongue and nose can sense. Processed food is processed food, and what he was talking about is a lot like processed junk food, something designed to be palatable or to get a rise from the senses. It isn't healthy, nor is it satisfying, but people don't consume it for those reasons. They eat it because they want to be comforted. If they really wanted good food, they'd cook for themselves, and if they really wanted to be comforted, they'd visit their grandmother once in a while. Horror scopes, as I like to call them, are like cold samples of imitation crab, covered in poorly mixed batter placed in a dingy old deep fryer before the oil even had time to heat up. They're overly saturated, covered in MSGs, and served in two-day-old newspaper clippings. Things like that are made by the careless for the careless. I mean, imagine if your child had never tried crab before and ate that. Good luck getting them to try it again if they have any sense about them. At that point, they'd probably be happier eating a stick of butter covered in dirt. I told him, astrology is like fishing in the sea. You have to learn how to operate your boat. Learn the technical aspects of your rod and your reel. Learn the proper fishing techniques and learn how to clean your catch so you can cook with the spices available to you. After throwing off the straw man, he asked, How do you justify your belief in astrology as while holding your views as a Christian? Doesn't it run counter to pretty much everything you were taught? Now that was a good one. We were proceeding closer to the root of the issue standing in his way. So carefully choosing my words, I told him, Well, the funny thing is, you're not necessarily wrong. It did run counter to pretty much everything I had learned. And for the longest time, I struggled with the same questions. But in truth... It wasn't that I was struggling because astrology ran counter to what I had been taught. I was struggling because it made me question my shallow beliefs, and what I had learned was shallow. And so today, on the Locksmith Podcast, we're going to embark on an investigation into the surrounding impact and significance astrology has had throughout history. This journey will continue on to the next few weeks as a part of a special in-depth analysis of the inner workings available only to patrons. So if it interests you, be sure to subscribe to the Locksmith Podcast on Patreon. 
But today, I want to take a look at the beginning of astrology, admiring the function and design as we follow its course through time, before the specials where we get into the nitty-gritty of its mechanics and functions. So, without further ado, I'm Jay Castle, and this is The Locksmith Podcast. I remember when first beginning my investigation into the subject, I felt a strange sense of fear and excitement, reminiscent to the feeling of sneaking away with a girlfriend to kiss behind the bleachers. I didn't have anyone I could really talk about it with, and I feared many of the people around me held the belief it was just meaningless dribble, and I wasn't seeking to be admonished for my interests, I wanted to learn more. So I continued learning in secret, because something about it just felt different. Like there was more than what the popular prejudice let on, but it was more than that. I needed to know more of what made my heart beat so wildly, why I felt the wild flush of heat rushing over me as I discovered more about the subject. I was like a schoolboy, meeting the new girl for the first time, and I had to know her name. A quote from chapter 4 of Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning explains things pretty well. To explicitly forbid something not to be expressed in speech or explored in thought is to inevitably strike an interest in curiosity. For what must be so dangerous and powerful that it must be treated as if it is not there? Such action virtually assures it will attract attention as the greatest mysteries compel approach as well as fear. The courage to intentionally engage with the unknown in pursuit of conceptual reorientation in the face of new information is the creative potential of liberty and free will. And I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. In its most basic definition, astrology is a key to the self through which formative symbolism, whose functions act as the gears in a masterwork timepiece, allow for the basis for broad-scale system dynamics to be differentiated into the many interlocking processes of the internal conscious field of experience and subconscious human interactions as reflected upon the external unconscious environment. Think of it like an analog watch you're only able to tell time due to the countless tiny springs and gears all working together, separately fastened to the base and fit behind the face, secured within the metallic shell disguising the complexity in a simplistic, low-profile design. Now, I have a question. Which piece matters most when telling time? Is it the particular alloy the shell is made from? Is it the watch face or the hands, the tiniest gears or the largest springs? It's a stupid question, right? Without all the parts separately working together, the watch simply could not function. Carl Jung once said, astrology represents the sum of all the psychological knowledge of antiquity. This is the same man famous for his work on psychology and spiritual symbolism. Remember this quote, we will return to it momentarily. The Oxford Dictionary defines astrology as the study of the movements and relative positions of celestial bodies interpreted as having an influence on human affairs and the natural world. Taken for surface value, that makes perfect sense. We can clearly see their influences on the natural world. Take the moon, for example. Science has interpreted the rise and fall of the ocean tide, along with movement of the waves in the sea, as being influenced by her position and the gravitational impression she makes. Unfortunately, the moment you say the position of the moon, or the position of other celestial bodies for that matter, correspond with certain behaviors in people, you get into dicey territory, as it's easy to conflate correspondence with control and the illusion of control is something astrology has a knack for bringing to light. 
as well as other hidden truths in reality coming to surface when placing a focal lens on archetypal symbols which are permeating throughout existence. Astrologically speaking, individuals experience the emanations of the divine, these celestial spheres of influence or planets, by engaging with other individuals. These planets correspond to the fundamental interactions of human experience expressed through time, formulated as if each has their own specific gravitational flavor. These massive spheres of influence in space create the celestial drama in the stars as reflected upon the Earth, where the axiomatic forces in time create the humanistic drama on Earth as reflected upon the stars, whereupon each individual is ascribed a specific flavor of influence relative to others and given context in time and space. Which is all a fancy way to say, the role I play with you differs contextually with each life I interact with, interwoven within divine being where significance is made clear through time in sublime relativity. We are all responsible for the impact we have on the strangers we'll never meet. The planets don't control you any more than your network of friends do. You're influenced by all in tandem just as you influence the all. It all just kind of works out like that through correspondence and synchronicity. Life isn't messy, it's saturated with experience. Any rabbit trail can lead you to a whole new world. Any deer trail can be traced back to another because everything is connected. What determines your connection with experience and life is whether you search for responsibility or seek to deflect it onto others. Now, simply perusing the Wikipedia, shows us immediately that astrology is a pseudoscience. Although, astrology was never claimed to be science in the first place, and in fact, astrology was fundamental to the formulation of scientific methodology. They just have to make sure you know they don't approve of it, in case you needed any more reason to check it out. It's kind of ridiculous, but shows you the similarities and influence science has today with the religious institutions of the past. I mean, really, science is just another religious belief, to be honest, but... Other examples of pseudoscience is art, in case you didn't know, as if being classified as not science eliminates the significance or detracts from the relevance. Anyways, looking back, we can see the history of astrology has been traced to at least the second millennium BCE, when it was used to predict seasonal shifts and interpret celestial cycles, thereby rooting it in the formation of calendars. Used by many ancient civilizations, it crept up spontaneously throughout the world, Focusing on the Babylonian astrology, in its most base interpretation, it was primarily concerned with predicting the weather and political matters, but soon became a basis for community organization. The astrological symbols were used to represent seasonal tasks, where they would construct a yearly almanac and keep track of time to remind them when they should harvest, gather shellfish, go net fishing, sow their crops, collect water, hunt, and basically they created a timetable of tasks critical to the survival of children and young animals necessary for a thriving community. As time progressed, and as mathematical understanding flourished, so too did the accuracy of their predictions and the accuracy of symbolic correspondence among celestial spheres of influence, whereby the forces became better understood as they correlated with the phenomenal observations, which was united under the rule of King Alexander giving rise to a coalescence of Babylonian and Egyptian belief systems under a unified astrological blanket adopted as Hellenistic astrology. 
This evolution conjoined the mathematical, astronomical, and correspondent contributions of Babylon, the Egyptian concept of dividing it into 360 degrees, and the Greek system of planetary correspondence to the gods with their sign rulership and the implementation of the elemental systems. This is where astrology as we know today began crystallizing, shaped drastically into what we're familiar with. Not long after, Ptolemaeus of Egyptian Alexandria wrote Tetrabiblos, the authoritative text of astrology and equally as influential in astronomy for thousands of years to come. During this time, he also became focused on the accuracy of natal charts and began the first attempt to make an objective world map, charting the relationship between a person's birthplace and the heavenly bodies, while doing so coining the term geography. Before this, world maps were more subjective in nature. Although not long after, certain emperors began prohibiting astrology, thereby making it punishable by death as customary for charges made on the basis of magic as being heretical and treasonous. This is where many notable philosophers of the time also came to reject the foresight appropriated to symbolic astrological interpretation. Around this time, popular theological dogmatists also began cropping up as the poorly focused medieval church increased its political influence with condemnations where the proto-witch trials would become more common. A humorous result of this began the proliferation of arguments against the practice of astrology, while also supporting the principles of planetary magic and the effect these celestial spheres have in acting as agents of God's divine expression as emanations of power. Basically saying, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with astrology, I just don't think at this point we can really interpret the extent of their influence, so it's best if we don't use it for now, or, well, you know. By the 13th century, interest in astrology reawakened with great fervor, as it was holistically integrated into many professions who adopted the fundamental structural system into many practices across Europe. University education had integrated planetary correspondent attributions to create a seven-tiered schema for their structure, ordered by planetary speed. Medical practices integrated planetary correspondent attributions with physiology to better understand the physical nature of the human expression, as well as timing surgical procedures with regard to planetary positions. It was a time where symbolism and correspondence were wholly accepted as facilitators to bridge the metaphysical gap between the physical and phenomenal. Astrology was considered a scholarly tradition until the end of the 17th century, where the incremental adjustments to symbolic significance and motivations to increase accuracy of calculations birthed the objectivist obsession with the physiology of physicality, coming to a head with the introduction of the heliocentric model, an idea directly confronting the subjectivist phenomenology of metaphysicality presented with the geocentric model. Now, if you recall earlier, I told you to remember Carl Jung's quote that astrology represents the sum of all the psychological knowledge of antiquity. To that point, I suggest heliocentrism is to the external world as geocentrism is to the internal world, and in that, they are reflections of one another. That which is above is like to that which is below, and that which is below is like to that which is above just as a child is reflected in the image of their parents and a representative is reflected in the image of their people, so too is a man reflected in the image of a woman and a woman in the image of a man. Just as the celestial drama is reflected in the image of the earth, 
so too is life on earth a reflection in the image of God. Astrology in 17th century England was not beholden to systemic religious beliefs in the realms of science nor spirituality, but something of a parent and child to both. It was only believed to have been of magical concern with the rise of influential institutional governments who sought to delegitimize the past scientific investigations or present spiritual investigations. Like psychology to neurology or rhetoric to grammar, in the final analysis, astrology is tied with astronomy, but also unique to itself as a prognostic art embodying centuries of rigorous methodology and tradition to understand the symbols presented through time. It is a partner to civilization, providing the basis through which time was measured, giving rise to calendrical formulations which offered large-scale symbolic interpretation for community guidelines focused on group survival, where it soon became motivated by accuracy of astronomical proportions urging arithmetic progress, alongside objective analysis of the physical surrounding world with geographical mapping. Astrological understanding isn't essential to live a fulfilling life, but neither is GPS when you learn how to read the road and interpret the signs. If you become reliant on something else to make your decisions, you become like the character in Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy as you find yourself placed in the eighth circle of hell where those are forced to have their heads turned around. One step before betrayal and two steps from discovering what lies at the center of such a being as you're greeted by Satan, frozen in a lake of ice, unmoving, eternally in agony of blindness and betrayal of life by the absence of experiencing the journey. This is a poorly focused mindset utilizing a misapplication of astrological understanding as an excuse to reject responsibility and ignore the experience of life. Making decisions based solely upon the guidance of external factors, ignoring your internal guide and isolating your soul. This mode of being is like the search for a sense of security and self-identification through the external world, fueled by a lack of self-understanding leading to group identifications, falling under ideological possession, and sacrificing your potential by confusing yourself with the group. In this case, confusing yourself with the archetypes, or worse, confusing your current position with where you project yourself to be, forever awaiting the fruits of that which has yet to begin, missing the opportunities to sow your seeds, and desperately trying to attain the past, pointlessly sacrificing the future for a present forever looking backwards. Until, of course, your head is forced around and you see the betrayal to life where you discover your hell and the suffering surrounding you, originating from the central fact that you are going nowhere, frozen in a lake of ice. In parting, Ezekiel 21, 21 through 23 states, For the king of Babylon stands at the fork in the road, at the junction of the two roads, to seek an omen. He shakes the arrows, he consults the idols, he examines the liver. In his right hand appears the portent for Jerusalem, where he is to set up battering rams, to call for the slaughter, to lift a battle cry, to direct the battering rams against the gates, to build a ramp and erect a siege wall. It will seem like a false omen to the eyes of those who have sworn allegiance to him, but it will draw attention to their guilt and take them captive. 
Hey guys, remember, those who seek to find themselves in the external world will only see a reflection. Turn your sight inward and show the external world who you are. If you're interested in learning more about the inner workings of astrology, be sure to find the Locksmith Podcast on Patreon and subscribe. Those who do will gain access to the in-depth specials coming out soon, the Locksmith Podcast Discord community channel, and receive weekly episodes before anyone else. This has been the Locksmith Podcast. I'm Jay Castle. Thanks for joining.